0: good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is wherever you are today. My name is Ali Amagasu and I welcome you to the 50th episode of the Cloud Unfiltered podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest. Uh, Dr. Lars Deniker, comes to us from SAP to talk to us about a number of things, but uh, first I'll just say good morning, Dr. Lars. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Ali. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, In addition to Lars, I've got Pete Johnson, my faithful co-host with me. Thank you, Pete, for joining.
1: Hey, Allie, thanks again for letting me join you. Episode 50, like when you start one of these things, you don't think you'll ever get to 50, and now that you're there, right, it seems like it goes faster than you thought it would.
0: It went really fast. Yeah, initially this was meant to be a uh, every other week podcast, but we had so many great guests that wanted to be on, we wound up going to pretty much a weekly, uh, weekly cadence, and uh, so we got here a lot quicker than we expected. Nice. Anyway, Lars, uh, I... Really enjoyed getting to know you last week at uh, Cisco Live. So, thank you for talking to me then, and I appreciate you coming to speak with us again. Um, sure, no the reason we wanted to talk with you, uh, as you know, is because Cisco's been um, working with SAP on, on an interesting project uh, involving one of your new products, Data Hub, and one of our newish products, Cisco Container Platform. But before we get to that, um, I'd love to start, uh, like we start most uh, interviews, by asking you how you got into tech.
2: Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks a lot that I'm and I'm really proud to be part of the 50th episode. I didn't realize that, actually. <laughs> so It's really an honor. So uh, I'm happy to then also come to the 100th episode. So just let me know if, uh, <laughs> if you need some, need some yes. guests at this point in time. So how did I come to tech this is actually a, a pretty, pretty nice story from my point of view, at least. So uh, it all started basically when I hit uh, high school. Um, and you have to imagine I hit high school in the year 1994, 1995. Which was pretty much the year where all this internet stuff started, right? Um, And uh, you know, we all had these modems and things like that. And at this time, we had two, let's say, enthusiastic teachers at this high school who really wanted to go into this direction. And they um, created like a working group for for students. Uh, Yeah, and I was, uh, they they was, I don't know why they dragged me in. And then it never, it it still touches me and it never let me go, right? So um, we were just starting with implementing some websites and then doing some networking stuff here and there. And, you know, and then it quickly came to the decision to go for studies in this direction, right? And then, yeah, you study it. um, And, yeah, now (laughs) obviously I'm also working in this area. And, uh, yeah, it's still a very interesting thing. Uh, I think it's uh, very important that you can learn every day something new and that it's really one of the areas where you have lifelong learning. So if you stop learning for even half a year, you're just behind, and that's that's something which is interesting and challenging
0: at the same time. That is the truth. You cannot yeah. stop learning if you want to keep doing this job. Well,
1: ninety four was a really good time to get started because that I mean that's a, that's a pretty historic date in our in, year in our industry. That's the year that Tim Berners Lee released the HTTP. Exactly, exactly. So lots exactly. of stuff took off after that.
0: Nice pull, Pete. That is exactly the kind of thing I expect you to know. <laughs> Hey, anyway, Lars, um, let's, let's get to the meat of why we wanted to have you on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't believe that SAP or Cisco have made any official announcements about this yet, but I know that we're working together um, to try to figure out um, how to make the best of a couple different offerings we have. And, and the offering in question here is, um, is SAP Data Hub. So before we talk about why we're working together, why don't you explain to us what Data Hub is, when it was introduced, what it's meant to achieve?
2: Yeah. So what we were basically seeing is that um, the landscapes of our customers grew more and more complex uh, since, since a couple of years. And uh, <laughs> let's say SAP had a very, let's say, easy job in the past somehow by having most of the ERP data, enterprise data, um, transactional data in the data center of the customer, and uh, there was not much about the cloud. But a lot of technologies have basically evolved in the last years be it iot be it streaming data be it social media data and so on and all of the cloud technologies basically changes tremendously so we were even seeing that you have in principle two issues so in big companies you can see that you have a different um strategy for storing data and processing data even within different departments so just imagine you have something like the research department the fancy guys that use all in the cloud and uh, you know want to continue their use the new services and new capabilities, things like that. Then you have, for example, your sales guys, which are aware that they have high value data, and they are more in the direction of saying, I had better keep what I own, right? And uh, keep the data in the data center. So what is missing basically is a link between those strategies and the holistic data landscape management inside of a company, which obviously a company still wants to have because they want to, have a complete overview of what data they actually have in a company and even combine this data at, at one point in time. And the second point is exactly also why sales and research or development is, a good, is a, a good example, because we are seeing that there is a gap in processing enterprise data, typically transactional data like in databases, well-structured, well-formed. You query the data, you get it back in a transactional way. You work on it and you write it back to a source, to a sync. This is different to what we have in this new, we call it big data world, right? Big data is an umbrella term for a lot of things, but just say for the technologies that are newly emerging in data processing, like I said, streaming, IoT, and things like that. And they have different paradigms because how would you do a transaction on a data stream, right? So This is a complicated thing. And if you now want to combine those data sources, enterprise data, as well as um, transactional uh, enterprise as well as uh, streaming data, for example, or big data, um, you have to overcome a lot of challenges. And with the SAP Data Hub, we exactly try that to build a bridge between enterprise data and uh, big data, and at the same time, provide customers a way to get a holistic data landscape overview across the entire company, independent of what kind of systems they are using in the different departments. And uh, this is for us solving something that is or that emerged in the last years as a real customer uh, problem uh, and even an industry-led customer problem in the enterprise world.
1: Hey, hey, Lars, you've you've got a really cool example that you like to use there, right, with the fitness world, if I can interject that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a, it's a very, it, it's, it's right. It's a very good example, right, uh, of, of how this is working. So we did a, a project, uh, um, Pete, a uh, very good point, um, together with, a, with a, a shoe manufacturer and uh, um, and a fitness band company, right? And uh, we had basically from the fitness band company, we were uh, receiving some data because, you know, typically you buy the fitness band and you use, the, you use the new fancy UIs in the web to see all your dashboards, what you are doing. Uh, and typically you are missing that you also uh, signed basically the contract that they can use your data in an anonymized way, right? So we have some kind, a little bit of data uh, from, from this world, which was basically, um, we could have the heart rate, distance and speed um, of, of the runners um, that were using these these fitness bands. And we had in principle from the shoe manufacturer, the enterprise and sales data, customer groups and things like that. And what we could do with this, and this was really fancy at the end, is create based on the um, on the fitness data, customer groups uh, from the shoe manufacturer. So we could, for example, say we have someone like the casual jogger, someone like me who runs with a, a um, ho- high uh, heart rate, low speed, a short distance. <laughs> and uh, you, have, you have maybe then the professional joggers on the other end and some groups in between, which have then for a long distance, a lower heart rate, um, and a higher speed, right? And what we can see then when combining this now with the, with the data from the sales, we could see very interesting effects. For example, we were seeing that the uh, casual jogger uh, had a customer or where the largest customer group with 52% share from all the customers they have, while the uh, professional athlete, as we were called, only have 0.6% of the customer base. And uh, what you would expect now is, yeah, sure, the largest customer groups makes the highest revenue, but we could see that this is not the case because we could see that actually the casual jogger with the 52% have the least revenue share from all customer groups that we had. And I mean, now when you think about it, it's again also obvious why this is the case because the casual jogger just buys maybe one pair of shoe, maybe they even wait for some commercials right? and then they buy the cheapest pair of shoe they can get um, and uh, don't pay that much money for single sales. While the professional jogger, they really invest in their equipment, right? And they had a much, much higher um, uh, sales per year, uh, sales per year and customer basically uh, revenue. Um, and this was, yeah, and this was a very interesting effect. We saw more of these effects. We even compared what are the preferences of the shoes they were wearing. So we could see that the casual um, jogger does not have a preference. So if you want to do marketing with them, you better give them just something like, "This are 10% discount, just, you know, do it for any kind of shoes you like. And for the professional athlete, they had a clear preference for one pair of shoes. And um, for them, you might not even need a discount. You just need to inform them two weeks of anyone else that there's a new version of this shoe and they will come just come on their own because they want to be the first to try it out, right? And what it shows is that you can have or can do analysis of data and have insights into the data uh, that you only get when you combine this big data, streaming data part, the part from the, from the fitness bands with the sales data. So we could really solve here a customer problem of how they can improve um, their, their uh, analytics of their sales and also their marketing campaigns towards the customer.
0: I love that example. I'm glad you brought it up first off, because I'm a runner. And I could tell you that they, they, they get, I'm not a professional runner. I'm not the casual jogger either though, but I'm a runner with a preference who spends a truckload of money on shoes, at least four or five pairs a year. And uh, it's a very specific pair. So I love that, that example. Um, what it made me wonder, or what I think some of our audience might be wondering is, is SAP, is, is Data Hub moving any of the data or is it looking at the data where it lives? Mm-hmm.
2: So our goal is really to process the data where it resides. So what what you can imagine is to the data hub, you can now connect all kinds of your data sources, be it now cloud sources, be it on-premise systems, and basically connect this data to first get, um, uh, as I said, this holistic data overview. So what we are first doing is we are scanning all the data, right, and all of the sources um, by running, and this is the important part, a job uh, at a position where the data exists. So if it exists in a cloud storage, then we run a job in the cloud storage to scan the data, analyze it, get some characteristics out of that and report it back to the central system. So in the central system, we have then a catalog, an overview of all the data um, that resides uh, within your company, right? With all of the characteristics and the profiles of the data. Um, And this is the first step uh, towards then the data processing. And this continues then with the fact that with the data, you can then also process the data further. And here it's again important that we try to always deploy the data processing jobs again to the position where the data resides to at least do some pre-processing or some filtering aggregation directly uh, at, this, at this position before we actually then uh, move the result obviously to a central position to bring it together with all the other data sources. And okay. I think this is really important. Uh, sorry, Pete.
1: No, so that's how you get around data gravity issues, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. By remoting
1: the processing and remoting at least the metadata extraction or if not the, the data flow processing, which I'm going to ask okay, you about. Exactly. You, exactly. You, by by distributing that, you you now the data can be anywhere, right?
2: Mm-hmm, exactly. And and the point is with the big data world, you cannot simply move all the data anymore. Right. If you if you stream the data into your cloud storage and you have then something like multiple hundred terabytes or petabytes yeah. of data, you don't want to move it. You want to at least do some pre-processing there and then just transfer the result. Uh, maybe you know, maybe you collect the data in millisecond granularity, but for your reporting, it you just needs an hourly granularity. So you aggregate the data to the hour and then you just transfer the hourly data, something like that, yeah.
0: So this sounds like an amazing solution. And I know that it, it's already available, is it not? It is already available in the first
2: version, yes. And we are currently working on the second version of this product, yes.
0: And so what's, what's the benefit of, of offering it on Cisco Container Platform? Um, why, why is that partnership happening?
2: Yeah, so the data hub is one of the first products of SAP uh, who is on the one hand side, completely containerized and runs on a compute cluster. So meaning you have a number of machines um, uh, that you have to orchestrate and bring together to form a cluster that the data can, can run on top of that. And one and a half years ago, we were basically searching for um, a platform that can do this. And we found this in uh, Kubernetes. And Kubernetes is a cluster management system um, that has some very nice, for us, some very nice um, um, offerings because for us it is a nice abstraction layer. So Kubernetes basically sits on top of this uh, compute cluster. It forms this abstraction layer so that we basically don't have to deal anymore what pieces of our software is deployed on which node, but we basically just schedule the containers of our solution with Kubernetes and tell Kubernetes, look. These are, this is a container, needs four, four cores, 16 gig of RAM. Do whatever you want with it, just schedule it. And as long as Kubernetes has resources, it's scheduling it on the respective nodes. So with Kubernetes, we we have, we're changing basically the assignment from the so-called node-based assignment to a resource-based assignment, right? And we don't need to deal with, with the underlying platform anymore as long as we basically uh, have our software running on Kubernetes. And the nice thing with Kubernetes is it is available on, let's say a lot of platforms. It's available on all major cloud providers, Google, Azure, AWS. Um, it is available also on-premise, especially with offerings from uh, and, and and Red Hat. Um, but still the problem is um, in the cloud, you have a fully managed service. So you just have a number of clicks and then you have your cluster running and if something is broken, you call Amazon or Google and then uh, you get support for that. Um, the problem on-premise is that the adoption of kubernetes is because it's a new technology still not very high at the customer side so when we come to a customer and tell them look you want a data hub please provide us with a kubernetes cluster a lot of customers are still looking at us and are asking us uh, Uh kubernetes what's that right and um, so you have a great platform the adoption customer side is currently not very high so what we need basically is now an easy deployable solution for the customer. So if you don't need to go to the customer and say, look, provide us the Kubernetes cluster and it's your, it's your problem how you do this. Maybe you, you use one of our partners, but in principle, the operation of such a cluster is your problem. And the operation of a Kubernetes cluster is not very easy. That's what we have also to, to admit. So um, when we had the first discussions at Cisco Live in Barcelona at the beginning of this year, we really got glowing eyes when we were discussing about this uh, uh, Cisco container platform because exactly it solves the problem for us. With the Cisco container platform, we get basically an infrastructure layer, right, with, uh, with Hyperflex. We get the Cisco container platform as a platform on top, which provides us with the Kubernetes we need and we can just set the data up on top. So, and why this sounds in the first place very, let's say, very easy, the important part is that the customer gets a turnkey solution. They just need to, to take it put it in their data center racks, push the power button and it's running. And in addition, they get full stack support. So Cisco basically takes all the support from the the container platform to uh, the infrastructure layer and the hardware stack. So it's not like that they have to battle for back and forth and so on and so forth. And this is what we are working for, right? This is why we announced now this partnership and the solution is now what we are trying to create because it's a great solution. And it even brings one more aspect into the game which is uh, the Google part. Uh, maybe we also talk about that then, 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 then later, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, the Google part's an exciting part and I think Pete will get into that. Yeah. But I, I, I do think that it's great that you guys are recognizing the challenge customers are having with Kubernetes. I know that being at this past Cisco Live in Orlando, I was surprised by the number of people who expressed anxiety over containers, over mm-hmm. managing them. I feel like that was already a very mainstream thing but I was having customers come up to our booth again and again and again and talking about the the anxiety they have over this. And I thought, yeah. wow, we really need to uh, to to figure out how to make this easier for them. And so, I, I think you're you're certainly headed in the right direction. Yeah.
2: Um, I, I think I think maybe just to, just to sorry just to come yeah. in, what we it, it's really. Also, when, 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 when doing projects, right, what we typically observe is in the first place, everyone says, yes, sure, we use an, a cloud service and uh, we just do our testing there, no, no worries. And this works pretty, pretty nice because it's a very fast solution. But when it then comes to the point, yeah, now we have to set a productive, then again, the question comes, yes, we have high value data, right? We are not allowed to move this data out of our data center. Right, it's customer data. GDPR, one, one sure. just to mention. Right, it's it's not allowed to bring it directly to the cloud and and uh, and operate it there. Uh, some data I don't want to bring there because you know, cloud yes, but I have to trust a third party with my data. So something like sales data or, or ERP data you might not want to have there. And at the other hand, you have then already the, the some cloud data maybe right. And this is where then this the this hybrid cloud comes into the game to say. Yes, sure, you need a system on premise which connects typically your enterprise data and you need to connect and still to the cloud to basically consume the nice services in the cloud, your data you have in the cloud and bring again, the story from the beginning, right? Bring again together enterprise data and big data, right? And this is why um, this, uh, uh, why it's still important to have this data center solution, because you know customers always start very easy, very fast, and they say, "Yeah, containers are nice, nice story, very nice." But that problem is like, it, the, is the transition from pure testing to production and enterprise readiness, right? And that this is this is why they, you know, are very happy about containers at the one one hand,
0: and they have a great anxiety at the, at the other at the, uh, at the other hand, right? Yep, that that absolutely makes sense. Um, So Pete, what kind of questions did you have lined up for Lars?
1: Lars, I got some rapid fire ones for you here. So so real quick, I mean so I mean I've seen in prep for this, I watched a couple of your, your talks so I could ask you some intelligent questions. So you said yourself, you know, SAP isn't exactly the first name you think of when discussing openness. So what about data sources? Are they just classic SAP sources that I can plug into Data Hub, or can I plug things like MySQL or Oracle or MS SQL or some of the more traditional, you know, some of the more traditional stuff, or even some of the more modern stuff like like MongoDB, et etc.?
2: Yeah. So this has basically two two dimensions. So on the one hand side, uh, we as SAP try for sure to enable SAP systems to connect to it. I mean, it's an SAP system; sure. it's the big strengths of SAP so on, to all it. You know, that- to allow the connection to SAP systems, right? But at the other hand, we also try to be as open as possible on the one hand side by providing connectivity to all major cloud providers and several cloud services on our own. And by also allowing basically very easily for customers to provide own content, own operators for this data hub. So in principle, a customer can always say, look, there is a system you're currently not supporting, but I'm I'm just using the client library that's available. Um, uh, integrate into such an operator, which is a very very easy process, okay. and then they can connect to the system uh, in in their way. And uh, we even try to somehow extend this uh, in the future with some partner, uh, let's say, solutions, where then also partners are providing uh, content uh, for the data hub, so that you get a let's say a good ecosystem for different kind of systems that customers can then combine together right. to get a solution. That fits their needs with respect to connectivity. So, to summarize, we try to somehow a bit solve um, SAP's let's say maybe a, a bit unfair <laughs> um, 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 disadvantage of not be, of not uh, being that open, or at least having the, uh, the, the uh, having the um, being being named for not being that open. Um, but uh, in the sense of explicitly providing the connectivity between SAP systems and open systems, open source systems, third party systems, and the openness for allowing customers to to provide their own content, their own connectivity.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Well, then next thing I want to ask you about was, so you you, you described this overall system where to overcome the data gravity issues, you've got these different pieces that are remotely doing some analysis. And at some point they aggregate that stuff somewhere. So is that is that somewhere is that typically the portion of is that typically on prem are people more typically putting that in a public cloud and VPNing their their private cloud data up up that way or what's what's the typical use case in in terms of how that's organized
2: Yeah, so in principle the customer is free to choose. Right. It's it's in principle where he where he uh, creates his let's say main compute cluster. This is completely on his own. Uh, my personal belief is that uh, in many cases this is on-premise in the data centers of the customer because again it's a it's a different story to even for vpn solutions provide your enterprise data for the final combination to the cloud or whether you are dragging data uh, let's say the aggregated data uh, from the cloud to an on-premise system and combine it with your enterprise data there I think it greatly depends on the use case, because if you now have, let's say, only a few gigabytes of data on premise, but terabytes of data in the cloud, it might change. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, a, good, a good number uh, will go for having the, the central installation on premise okay. and connect basically the cloud-based uh, uh, runtimes to it.
1: It's certainly easier to do it in that direction, and in in most cases, people feel like that's a little bit more secure. Certainly, I mean, we have products that do it that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you've got this on prem, right, and you're collecting these these pieces of, of of data and this metadata from from other places and so forth, um, so so why us? I mean, you talked about uh, you talked about this a, a little bit. We're not the we're certainly not the only name out there providing first level support for uh, Kubernetes, right? Was it was it something about Cisco's support model? Was it something about the relationship with Google, or was there some other was there some other angle that SCP was like, yeah, we want to do this with Cisco, and that's why we're doing this announcement.
2: So, so for us, basically, or especially for me, it was uh, especially that with Cisco, we have really someone who is believing in this hybrid cloud thing. Yeah, and what what differentiates the Cisco Container Platform is that they uh, also are targeting. For this hybrid cloud approach, together with Google, right, which was announced at Cisco Live, right, um, so that you not only have your on-premise system, but you have basically the capability, um, uh, together with Google, to go really in the hybrid cloud way. And this is something um, that is for us a clear differentiator, and this is for us also the, or which excited me uh, most compared to let's say other vendors, where you are right. I mean, there are other vendors out there who provide you managed Kubernetes on-premise. But this, the thinking about multi-cloud, the thinking about hybrid cloud, the thinking about how you can combine the best of both worlds, this is what I personally think uh, is, or I, I felt personally uh, most uh, when I was talking uh, with Cisco and uh, also with Cisco and Google in this trifecta collaboration. Okay. So it's 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 this kind of vendor neutral, I always call it cloud Switzerland, even
1: though not everybody mm-hmm. likes it when I call it that, that, <laughs> that you know, we... The way that um, I did a podcast at Cisco Live with uh, with Fabio Gori, uh, who's our main marketing guy for for Cisco Cloud products, and he said a statement that's like eighty percent true, but it's it's a good statement nonetheless. That if you look at the largest tech companies by revenue, we're the biggest one that doesn't have a cloud. If you skip Intel, and if you're a little bit fuzzy about iCloud isn't really its own cloud, but let's just like grant them that for their own. That, that's, that's why I say it's like an 80% true statement. So, so I, I get that part of it as to, to why you might might choose us with that kind of thing.
0: But Pete, um, let me interrupt for a second. Are we Switzerland if we're doing this partnership? I mean, Google's a big part of this hybrid cloud announcement, sure. an important part. Um,
1: sure, but uh, what I would counter that with is we, we also have a relationship with Azure, Azure as it relates to uh, doing Azure Stack on-prem we've also we sell a ton of CSR 1000Gs on uh, AWS so that people can do um, more sophisticated VPNing or more sophisticated uh, routing within VPCs on AWS so it's that that's what i mean by this i mean in this in this particular case when we're talking about this lane of kubernetes certainly it's google focused which it's kubernetes so why wouldn't it be but but we can point to other things that that other vendors are into that we are also part of.
2: Got it. And uh, I think you got also one important point, Pete. I think, uh, especially for big companies, we are not only talking about that they decide at the end for one cloud vendor, but they decide uh, for multiple cloud vendors at the same time for very specific use cases. And this is, I think, the important part why also SAP has this multi-cloud strategy, why Cisco has this multi-cloud strategies, and even the cloud vendors themselves are recognizing that in the enterprise world, it's not, a, yeah. uh, uh, it's not a single choice that they are typically doing, but it's more like a choice based on, uh, for a specific project, for a specific feature set, I'm using this and for another project, I might use something else. So it's the important part to integrate um, or to at least allow uh, yeah. the, the consumption of, of multiple multiple clouds at the same time.
1: It, well, it used to be so. There have been six AWS reinvents, and I've been to the last five of them. And it used to be that Werner Werner Vogels or Andy Jassy they would not they would not utter the terms multi cloud or hybrid cloud, and they would basically tell you you're a fool if you do anything but public cloud because of you know long term cost analysis. And, you know, not not that they didn't say those things because it happened to benefit them as well, right? But but now you, you see a softening even with those guys when it comes to not one size fits all. Um, now, let, now, let me ask you a question. So I had a particular question that in our, our prep work, I, I was intentionally made it thinly veiled. in And that is, I want to see if you think I'm right about, about something. I think it's time to be very distinct about how we use the terms multi-cloud and hybrid cloud. I think for most of the last five years, we used those two terms interchangeably, but I think the market has matured enough that those two t- those two things mean different things. And let me tell you what my definition is, and you tell me if I'm a genius or an idiot. Um, <laughs> so to me, multi-cloud is a broader strategy. If I'm an IT department, I have an application portfolio of a hundred or several hundred applications. Some of them run best on one cloud, be it public or private. Others run best on another cloud, be it public or private. But the individual applications wholly run on one cloud or another, as opposed to hybrid cloud, I've been beginning to imagine as what we've just been talking about, where I have a single application and parts of it run one place, but parts of the same application also run somewhere else as well. So, how 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 brilliant or stupid is that?
2: No, oh, it is it is super brilliant. Even though uh, I have a little bit of different different. Uh, okay, definition. yeah,
1: I'd love to hear what yours so, is.
2: So for for, for me and uh, is is hybrid cloud uh, the combination of cloud and on prem. And okay. this is independent of, of how the deployment is. It means basically you're not focusing only on cloud. You're not focusing only on prem, but you try to create a system that uh, gets the best of both worlds in the sense of it combines cloud processing and on prem processing. Okay. This is for me. This is for me hybrid cloud. Um, and multi cloud is just basically, or what it means just, it means basically, um, that you are not focusing on a single cloud provider. Basically, as you said, right, multi-cloud. I think we are completely aligned. Um, it it may, means you you are free to choose uh, what cloud provider you're using depending on your application and your application. It, it it might, and this is maybe a little bit different from the definition. It might run on all the clouds, but you are not focusing on saying I'm only deploying my stuff to AWS and I'm not only deploying my stuff to Google, but I'm deploying my stuff where it best fits. At okay. The end.
1: Well, those are pretty close. And let me zoom in on one part of the hybrid then. I think where we're, our definitions are a little bit different. What would you call then an application that is running on multiple public clouds, but is not running on a on on prem at all? So I would call that hybrid. But given the definition that you just gave, that's a part that's missing. So is there another cool term we're going to make up for that or?
2: Nope. For us, it's just a cloud deployment. It's okay. and, and depending though, so we would make the difference whether it is running in the Uh, account of a customer then it is an on-premise cloud deployment or whether it is running in an SAP managed account and it is a managed service. But uh, in principle, uh, an application runs on all the clouds is for us uh, just a cloud deployment in principle.
1: Okay, That's fair.
2: Um,
0: Oh my God, the poor customers. I have to say, like when you're trying to learn about cloud and, 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 you know, because you guys are having a very legitimate, this is a legitimate difference (laughs) of opinion or discussion about how the term should be used. And it's so funny because we have these uh, discussions in marketing between the different companies we partner with, both um, you know resellers and um, you know just technology partners. And I mean, there are knife fights over whether we're calling it hybrid cloud or or multi cloud in a marketing piece. Yeah. Um, and companies have different policies that I have to say are not based on any of the nuance that was just covered here. You know, the the language that's used has nothing to do with these nuances. And so it's interesting because I, I hope it does, I hope both those terms solidify a little mo- more in a way that makes them uh, more easily identifiable by customers so they can hear that and go, oh yes, this is what they're talking about. Oh no, now they're talking about multi-cloud. That, that means something different than hybrid cloud because they really are different. I agree, they shouldn't be used interchangeably. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I think the important part for, 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 for me also personally is it's not about uh, whether you use one or the other term but it's always important that you define what you mean with system yeah, because absolutely. it's not currently not as, as we will all agree, it's not, they are not standard terms. I mean, cloud is a standard term. Everyone knows what, what cloud means, but hybrid cloud and multi-cloud are something where you can, in, we have, a, let's say, a, a, spectrum, a spectrum of interpretation. And here really, uh, I think it's important that you, even as a person, maybe not even as a company, but as a person that you clearly state, what is your meaning of hybrid cloud? What is your meaning of multi-cloud? And I think then you can quickly come to a common ground uh, and uh, continue the discussion. Then, depending on what also the meaning for the other person is at the end, right? It's just important yeah. that at the end one finds this common ground and not is talking about hyper cloud while the other one would mean multi cloud with the same thing, right? <laughs> yep.
1: Cool. Well, I, Ali I've got one more techie question for Lars, and then um, and then I'll I'll turn things back over to you. So, so you mentioned earlier, you know, the idea of being able to push the button and the and the the hyperflex turns on and then the CCP turns on on top of that and so forth are there anything is there anything the the is there anything hyperflex specific you guys are taking advantage of or is this going to be portable uh across future indications of cisco container platform that will run on ucs and other other physical hardware programs or are you guys taking advantage of there's a as you as you probably know but not everybody might not know is there's a special there's a special storage driver among other things that, that uh, does some performance enhancements for for Cisco container platform on top of HyperFlex. Yeah.
2: So no, not really, to be honest. So we have a certain of requirements toward the Kubernetes landscape and environment. Okay. That's how this is realized on the infrastructure level. We, in principle, don't get me wrong. We, in principle, don't care. We, in principle, care that um, the whole solution, the whole stack is enterprise ready, that the whole stack in principle is uh, has end-to-end support, right? Uh, or at least uh, there is a clear support model, yeah. right? When you run, for example, Cisco Container Platform on other hardware that it's clear how the support is structured and that it works basically uh, in a way well together that we can form a reliable and scalable production and enterprise-ready system. Got it. Um, but if this is now called Cisco Hyperflex or maybe another future Cisco solution that runs beneath that, or even if Cisco goes in the direction that a third party vendor runs beneath the Cisco container platform, is for us not, not super important.
1: So for you, a Kubernetes cluster is a Kubernetes cluster is a Kubernetes cluster.
2: In, in, in most cases, yes. There is some somewhat, uh, let's say, a, a small problem that is currently, let's say, an industry-wide problem not solved yet. So just imagine you have in your container you have running a certain linux system just just imagine you have a debian system running there all right, right? and on your on your uh, infrastructure you have another linux running right with a different os so just imagine you're deploying it to the cloud on google for example we have now our debian images run on chromium os right mm-hmm. so the problem is now what is happening if someone is updating the host os yeah provides a new kernel that my libraries in my container OS are, yeah. are still working on this on this OS, and not my whole solution is breaking down uh, uh, immediately. And these are questions we are currently even discussing with a lot of partners and vendors because this is really this is really a challenge. It's an industry-wide problem that is not solved yet, because let's say no one I don't want to say cared about that, but it wasn't required to think about this in this extent. But now when we come to again, it's it's a question between testing and making something production yeah. ready, we yeah. are now seeing that we really for some of the systems are really running into those problems. And um, when a customer basically, um, that's why the, the let's say the support is so important for us. If a customer not comes to us uh, and, uh, and 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 tells us there's a problem, we will not have the, the option to say, yeah, sorry, this is a problem of the uh, underlying operating system. So yeah. you have to deal with them because they will just say, yeah, sorry, it's about, you know, you have to update the uh, system in the, in, in the containers, right? And this is what customers don't want. They want to have clear responsibilities, clear solutions, and clear agreements, uh, for example, this problem. And that's why it's not, let's say, it, it's not totally, um, we are not totally not caring, let's say this way. We are caring in some sense about those, to- those things, um, and that's why we're also discussing, for example, exactly this problem with you guys, because if you now bring out this turnkey solution, it needs to be clear how problems like this problem are solved at the end for the customer. So the customer can really say, OK, there's a problem. I'm calling number X, Y, Z, and then I get my support if something goes wrong.
1: I got it. That, that makes total sense. The, the thing that makes me, you know, the, the non-techie thing that makes me think of, we were the three of us all at just Cisco Live and I spent some time at Disney World when we were at Cisco Live. There's there's a there's a thing in customer service at Disney hotels, at least that they're supposed to do. And I'm revealing my Disney nerd here that if you go to a cast member with a problem, that that cast member is supposed to stay with you until that problem gets resolved, as opposed to that cast member saying, oh, go down and talk to, you know, Bob at that desk over there. And then you get to Bob at the desk and Bob's like, well, I can't solve that problem. you got to go to Jane over there. And and exactly. as opposed to the opposite of that is that cast member finds your solution and then they, they go talk to Bob and Jane and so forth. And, and, and until you get a solution and until your problem gets solved. So I, I think that that's what, if I draw that analogy to the hotel industry and, and uh, you know, theme park management that we were just at that, that, yeah. that to me is, is similar to what you're talking about here.
2: Yeah. It's exactly a perfect analogy. Really it exactly. This describes it. Uh, what also, especially enterprise customers, would like to have. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Well, that's cool. all I got, Ali.
0: Well, thank you, Pete, and uh, and thank you, Lars, for taking us through this. Um, I, I really appreciate your time and and appreciate you uh, explaining what's going on with this particular solution. Before I let you go, I do have one more question, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not going to ask you about your roadmap. But what I will what I will say is, I associate SAP with legacy, big, you know. Mission critical software. I think I think that's something to be proud of. It you know, it's uh, many companies rely on SAP for the things that are at the core of their day to day operations. Um, is this data? Is Data Hub being run? Is it containerized and is it run in this modern way because it's a new product? Will 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 any of the old products be lifted and shifted? Will they be rewritten in a way that makes them cloud native? Or, or I guess my question is, how is SAP moving? I mean, we've seen big companies like Adobe kind of shift to a more of a SaaS model and, and even Microsoft. And, and I wonder if SAP is headed in the dr- same direction or is this a, a knockoff, this Data Hub product?
2: Yeah, SAP is a very big company and I cannot really disclose because I don't know, simply okay, fair enough. Of, 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 of all the other departments. But what we are observing is, is a, 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 let's say, a clear motion towards containerization uh, and also then for using modern platforms be it now Kubernetes or be it now some something else. Um, this is, uh, let's say, something we basically, um, or what, what a certain team has to decide at the end on their own. What we can basically say is that um, for us, um, besides basically Cloud Foundry and besides basically our own data center strategy, Kubernetes becomes more and more an essential pl- platform uh, for deploying modern workloads, right? Um, and yeah, I think this is, this, is, this is a fair statement to say the movement goes in this direction more and more. Um, how quickly, how fast and how uh, single products or teams are doing this movement, this I cannot answer. Um, I think for us as a data hub team, we had this decision one and a half years ago against let's say also some other competing efforts and, and, and offerings in this, uh, in, in, in this, at this time. And we are happy that we were setting on the Kubernetes horse because at the end, uh, it let's say clearly won the race right. at least from our point of view. Yeah. And for us it 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 was in the beginning also not not very easy. It was rather painful, to be honest. But now we are happy that we were setting on on uh, on Kubernetes and that we are on this platform. And we can just recommend that uh, a lot of um, other, let's say applications, new applications or applications that are to be modernized, are at least thinking about this past and are adopting this Kubernetes strategy.
0: Fair answer. I, I suppose it, it wasn't right for me to ask you to speak for the entire of SAP, the entire the entire company. Yeah, Alan um,
1: didn't did Chuck consult you on like the latest Cisco strategy? Tell, tell, tell us about that,
0: Tell us about it. The time. <laughs> <laughs> although I gotta say Chuck is talking about cloud a lot lately. So you would think um, that that he's spending time with my group and and talking about it. But Anyway, um, thanks again, Lars, for being on the show. We appreciate it. And I may very well have you back for the 100th episode because we have had repeat guests before and we, we are gonna wanna hear how things are progressing once, once sure. uh, we see them move along. So, so I thank you for your time. I know you're all the way in Germany right now. So uh, it's the end of your day, beginning of ours. Um, uh, I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully at the next Cisco Live, we'll see. Uh, Pete, thank you very much for joining. I'll talk to you soon, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great day.
2: Thank you, Ellie. It was a pleasure. Thanks.